Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast. For the first time in nearly three months, we are having an episode, and this is number 126. I'm Martino Puccio. Alongside me is Matt Santangelo. Pet is at a conference, I believe, so we've been very busy. So glad we get a chance to talk again, because all we do is just text or send audio messages or just chill on spaces. But now we finally are able to record one. First of all, how are you? How have you enjoyed the season so far? I'm well. I think it's been uh, interesting, what, 11, 12 match days, depending on which league we're, uh, we're talking about. But um, yeah. it's, it's, uh, we just obviously wrapped up with the group stages of the Champions League, which we'll obviously take a deep dive into. Um, and then we have the World Cup coming up. So, um, a, a lot to, a lot to unpack for sure, but I'm, uh, I'm doing well. Yeah. Um, definitely a lot to unpack. It's just been so crazy. We have the World Cup in a couple of weeks now on top of the Champions League just finishing. And, and really that is the focal point of this episode, at least is the Champions League. Um, there's so much to talk about. How about we'll start off with the Portuguese teams? I, I think they deserve a little bit of respect. They have the same amount of teams in the knockout stages as Italian teams. What do you like make of this? Like of, of how Benfica and Porto have really done a great job of selling their best players in Darwin Nunes and Luis Diaz, and yet they're still making Champions League knockout stages. Benfica winning their group, so shout out to Adrian, by the way, which involved PSG, and it was on differential. But Matt, I mean, like, I have so much more respect for Portuguese clubs than I guess the average fan would. They still play these modern footballs, and they're not fading away. Kind of like the River de Vizy has. I, I know I botched the name, but the Dutch league is not on the same level as what's going on in Portugal. They sell players for great rates. Pet and I, we had this conversation in the state of play chat. Like, what has been your takeaway of these Portuguese teams? Because they're just, they're really impressive, and one of them can really make a deep run here. I think the the thing I've I've learned um, in in just various conversations with you know Adrian, who we had on. Uh, Cristiano from, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the Benfica podcast, you know, very knowledgeable. He's actually lives, lives pretty close to me here in New Jersey. <laughs> um, the more I've talked to, to them too and other people in that sort of Portuguese football space, and the more I've started to dabble into, to the, some of the players and the, the, the type of football they play, the more I realize it's more of a, it, I kind of boil it down to a lot of it's a culture thing. Right. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we, we talk so much about the, the, the tactical analysis aspect of it, the, 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 the analytics, all these sorts of things. Right. We talk about everything like that, the players, transfers, yada, yada, yada. But I think when you have a team like Benfica or Porto, who, you know, they build good teams. Yes. But they're always kind of plucked of their top players every so often. Um, Diaz, obviously at Porto going to Liverpool, he was a player that, you know, gave Milan fits in the group stages last year. Um, obviously, Darwin Nunes, as you just mentioned, going to mm -hmm. Liverpool for a big sum. And how do they how do they withstand that, right? How do they recover, right? And Benfica, Enzo Fernandez, right? Was linked to Milan, was linked to a slew of other clubs. Mm -hmm. He's a great player. He's probably not going to last there long, and they're going to flip him for a profit, just like they did with Darwin Nunes. So I think it kind of comes down to a club ethos thing. It also comes down to a club culture thing and knowing what type of players fit the club culture, what type of players um, fit the club atmosphere. And I think that's where you're seeing a lot of these successes, success stories with some of these Portuguese teams. You know, I'm not going to say they're the favorites to win the competition, but Benfica, mm -hmm. Porto, you always seem to find them making deep, deep runs or at least runs into the knockout stages. If it's not the Champions League, then a lot of times it is Europa League too. Mm -hmm. So like they seem to have their footprint on European um, competition. And I think I really attributed to those sorts of things where 
it's a it's one in one out like next one up mentality with these teams, mm-hmm. and I think that's how they're able to sustain um, some consistency on the European stages. Yeah, just their sheer reputation. And I said three teams by accident when it was really two sporting went to Europa League, but they just did it on. If it wasn't for that late goal by Hjorbjerg, um, they actually would have been in fourth, and Marseille was supposed to be there, which was crazy. Group D, I think, I think is like another. Side note though, because it, because we did have Sporting in there, Spurs, Eintracht, one of the weaker groups, in my mm-hmm. opinion. To me, it had the most drama filled, right? We had teams on five points and six points. And at one point, the two teams that advanced the knockout stages were not even in the knockout stages in the first 45 minutes of, of the final match day. So we had Frankfurt down and Spurs were down in their matches. They come back, they both win, they advance. Frankfurt and it's really funny because Indica has been the topic of conversation. Paramount Plus did a little thing about him as well. This was a player that was linked to, to Milan over the summer. And now you really get to see what they're made of. Frankfurt, hats off to the man. No, like seriously, when I say this, because we're talking about a Europa League winner last year. They were impressive in that. They go into the group stages. They get to the knockout stages. Mm-hmm. And this is really just like a, a team that I guess, or a club that, people scoff at when they're kind of like going through the run of thing. Okay. Who's going to make an impact this season? Who's going to be a surprise side? Frankfurt, I could argue is that surprise side because they were just like, eh, you know what? They won Europa league. They didn't do that great in Bundesliga. Bundesliga is, you know, I, I think like the cool way to talk about Bundesliga now is that everyone just calls it overrated. And I think that's kind of unfair because of the way they perform in Europe. Frankfurt, man. I, I, I found the most impressive out of all the teams in this group. Spurs are Spurs. They pay so much money for Conte, Harry Kane, and all these other players that they bring in. Richarlson, richer than any deal that any side that's not Dortmund or, or Bayern has made. For me, I think Group D was the most entertaining, even if it wasn't the highest of quality. Was there a group that you kind of looked at that were like, okay, wow, this is pretty impressive. I mean, Group B maybe with Porto and Bruges, uh, because... I mean, that one was just shocking with Leverkusen and Atletico at the bottom of it. Was, was there somewhere you looked and you were like, wow, that was, that was definitely uh, something that caught my eye? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's the three that kind of stick out to me are um, the, the group you just highlighted with Frankfurt, um, Tottenham, Sporting. Um, for, for all the reasons you just mentioned, I think, you know, you, you can look on paper and say who should be moving on, who shouldn't. Um, but I think if you really look at how the Champions League is, even the Europa League, it's a different type of animal, right? Because I think, you know, you can say, yes, maybe Frankfurt aren't the strongest team when it comes to domestic competition. Everyone says that Bayern Munich has a monopoly on the league. You can make a case mm. for that. Yes, but I think they've looked a little bit more vulnerable this year, um, and unlike in previous years. Borussia Dortmund always seem to be there. You have Leipzig, so you have some some quality teams there. But we know it's different to navigate um, the Champions League, right? Timing of matches, Right. If you have a team that has a lot more competitions, like some of these English teams that have cup play and mm-hmm. all these sorts of things, you can catch a team slipping. And if you're a team like Frankfurt who gets a home game in front of your crowd, then you might be able to spoil them and you might be able to do what you got to do, um, into advance. So that group is obviously very, very intriguing. The Porto one with Club Rouge is an interesting one because we obviously, you know, highlighted, um, uh, in previous episodes, you know, Charles de Quitelare making the big move from Club Rouge to Milan. And how would a team like Club Rouge cope with that, right? Like, do they have the resources to to to, to fill in the gaps that that CDK knew uh, covered? And they qualify for the knockout stages for the first time in club history. Like, that's huge. Like, that's that, that's yeah. that's what this competition's all about, right? Like, some of the minnows, some of the less le- lesser less than big sides, 
being able to make their make their claim and make their statement and just give that give their fan base the opportunity to play you know meaningful knockout round games even if it is against a tougher opponent you mm-hmm. live for those moments. If you're a player, you live for those moments against a Bayern or a City or a PSG, yeah. you know? So those two groups come to mind, um, you know, when I think about the most intriguing uh, from what we saw in the group. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Those those definitely caught my eye by surprise. Um, and then just, I, I guess we could just head over to the Italian teams then. I mean, it's we have to talk Napoli first. Yeah. I mean, just what what they've been this season is eerily similar to me. And it's not to say it's going to end up the same way. But just shockingly dominant is the IX teams with Delict, Frankie Dion, Hakim Ziyech, mm-hmm. when they went on that insane run where they should have beaten Spurs and gone to the Champions League final. To me, like that's what the sense that I'm getting. It's just domination on all fronts. We could talk even about their Serie A performance. They still have yet to lose there. They just lost their first match of the season against Liverpool this week, and it still didn't matter. They still topped their group. Kavicha Kavaraskelia is the best deal of the summer and we just saw Erling Holland go for 75 uh, yeah. not, not even 60 million euro and i understand mm-hmm. there's the fees and all that stuff with the wages i don't give a shit the guy the guy is on pace for the greatest premier league season ever but Kavara is still the better deal we were talking about how is napoli going to replace certain players and kim and jay as well another player that deserves that praise mm-hmm. for replacing Koulibaly and it seems seamless but oh my goodness Kavara took it to 10 levels higher than what Insigne was playing last season. And dare I say, and it's not even outlandish statement, he's already, the start that he has right now is on pace to shatter better than anything Insigne did for Napoli in a singular season. Oh my goodness, what a player. He is so good. He's going to be a Cavani-like situation, Matt, in my opinion, where he is so good that Napoli really can't do anything to hold on to him for too long. And he's going to be gone with, Maybe not this summer. I think in 2024, a massive fee is going to be coming in for him. And Napoli are going to cash out big. And they're going to be even able to reinvest in their team even further. Because as of right now, he's the best left winger in world football on form. No joke. Like, there isn't a better player than him. If you disagree with that, fine. I get it with Vinny. But, dude, this this is a, a real team. And they're primed to do some serious deal. They, they could go to the semifinals if they get proper matchups in this. With Kavara, you know, look, you've you've seen the type of play he's been able to do for for Napoli and Serie A play, right? You know, sawing up defenders, taking guys on. He looks like a player that's been here for three, four years and is a top player, right? Like one of the best players in the league. That's what it looks like when you see him. He's only been here for a couple of months, right? What stands out the most to me is how he's able to completely just transform the way this Napoli team plays and how much energy he's able to administer and how the rest of that that squad almost seems to run off the type of play he's he's putting out there. And I think, you know, look, we've we sort of seen it in many ways with Rafael Leao at times with Milan, right? And I hate to make those two comparisons, but that's the conversation that we see often on Twitter nowadays, right? Between these two players, at least Serie A and Serie A spaces. But the way that he is playing right now, I think there's no doubt about it. The, the, for the amount of money they spent on him, it's it's the signing of the summer. He's averaging what I think a goal or assist per ninety. Like it might be even be better than that. It might be like eighty something minutes across all competitions. So, in even his his like a subpar performances are still impactful, and I think that's a sign of a true talent, a true quality player. You know, look. You, we could speak on future. We can speak on uh, what type of potential bids might come in from some of these, you know, big European vultures. But enjoy the player now, right? Because I think, you know, look, 
when when he joined, when some of the other players joined, you knew they were going to get opportunity, right? You knew Spalletti was going to say, hey, look, I lost Koulibaly. Like, I'm going to have to put someone in there that's going to get those minutes and, and fill that role. So you're going to be able to afford those players that opportunity regardless. And you're right. I think that for for all the the, the good that Insigne did over the years, the legacy he had at that club as, as one of those folklore-type players, although, to be honest with you, I think recent years he's fallen off. I think it's amazing what good play, a good start to the season, and the way Napoli are standing in both these competitions can completely wipe away any sort of wrongdoing or mishandling with transfer, no, not transfer negotiations, contract negotiations, um, and Koulibaly and, and Mertens that De Laurentiis did, right? Winning cures all. We always talk about it, and this is no, this is no different. So it's going to be really interesting to see where Napoli fall in this, in this draw come Monday. Um, we all know where they stand in Serie A. They're probably the favorites right now. I think they're, they're at the top of the table. Big matchup this weekend against Atalanta. But for now, Napoli are the team of the season. They're the talk of the town, the talk of European football because of the way they're playing, yes, but also the result and the manner in which they're convincingly getting these results. Yeah, I mean, that victory against Liverpool at home, I don't care who Liverpool had, didn't have. They, the Premier League's resources and, and everything that they put into their clubs, I don't want to hear any excuses, especially relative to a club who was just selling some of its best players ever, ever, right? Napoli sold their best ever defender, and we're sitting here talking about them being, my, from my power rankings that I did, I had them as the mm-hmm. second best team in Europe because what well, Bayern did, Matt, I really wanted to talk about them, but we could go to their group. Inter is in that group, and we could kind of touch on Bayern a little bit. Inter, what an accomplishment. Seriously, this was impressive for them. And I know there's no like small moral victories that people want to take, right? But Inter advancing out of the group, considering who they were facing, their financial difficulties, just the overall morale of the team, for them to get those results against Barcelona, home and away, I know they lost against Bayern, but they took care of business against Victoria. For me, Inter making it out of the group was one of the more impressive things that we've seen in the Champions League this year. What have you made of them so far? I think they've been up and down, especially in the league. I think they've been very poor relative to what the expectations are. But massive for Simone Inzaghi, once again, getting them out of the Champions League group stage. Something that Antonio Conte could not pull off. And this was a tougher, the toughest group that Inter's had since they got back in the chain. I think with it, what Inter, what Inter did in that group, um, is, is quite impressive. And I think that the, the reason I think it's impressive is the start to their, their domestic campaign, uh, casted a lot of doubt, you know, over Lukaku, right? Was that the right move? He's still, I don't think going to be back until 2023. Yeah. We haven't really seen him set foot on the, on, on the pitch for, for Inter after coming on loan from Chelsea. They, 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 you know, they lost some players. They didn't, you know, maybe make the, the summer signings that the Inter fans, um, anticipated given the fact that their rivals just won a title and they know that Napoli are strong. Roma are coming up. But I think the, the way that Simone Inzaghi's been able to handle the pressure of potentially facing the sack, right? Because they had some really difficult results early on in the season. I think they actually have three to four losses already, which you really don't see teams lose that many games this early in the season and somehow find a way to still win a title or be in there at the, in the thick of things come at season end. They've weathered the storm. And I think that's really the, 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 the way that I can describe the uh, interseason so far is that they've had moments where their football wasn't great. They weren't getting results. People were questioning Inzaghi. People were questioning the whole Lukaku bringing him mm-hmm. back. Was it the right move? Do they have enough in defense, the midfield? Like 
is this team going to regress and are they really going to fall into a bad spot? Because you know, you did mention their financial position is not at the greatest. The way they've been able to navigate through that difficult group, knock off Barcelona, send them to the Europa League for the second straight year, you have to tip your mm-hmm. cap to them. And I think, you know, how some of their players have come on and have taken that next step forward on the European stage. Lautaro Martinez, he's had his moments with Inter mm-hmm. um, in the Champions League, some big goals. Um, Nicolo Barella, you know, Balanova played really well yesterday too. I thought that stood out. Um, I think, um, uh, shout out to Uncle Sharma, who's, who's a huge Inter fan, great YouTube channel on Inter. He highlighted his performance and he thinks there's a, there's a lot of untapped potential in Balanova, former Milan uh, academy player. So this team does have quality. Um, I think with a lot of these teams, much like Milan, much like Inter, uh, Napoli, I think it's going to really boil down to who they get drawn with. If they get a favorable draw in the round of 16, I think these are a couple teams that could catch fire and make a deep run. Because I think while we have to respect what Benfica did, while we have to respect what Porto did, Tottenham, I think there's teams here that are vulnerable. We know who the best ones are. We know who's in that next bracket. Mm -hmm. And then we know that there's there's a tier in between where... Maybe they finish first in their group. Maybe in name alone, they're pretty big and they're the favorites, but you can't sleep on the team that you might come up against them. Do you really like Napoli against a team like Tottenham? Absolutely. Enter. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Right? So like there's there's yeah. opportunity. There's opportunity for some of these Italian teams to make good pushes provided they get the right draw. And I think that's a, a, an interesting prospect going forward if you're a Calcio fan. And to, to continue with that, it, our team, Mila. Um, just, I, I think it was an unfortunate way the group transpired. The loss in London absolutely deserved it. Was, it was a horrid performance. That, I'm never going to argue that one. I think there was really no excuse for it. Yeah, there were absences, but just overall, just really uncharacteristic play from some of, some of the players in Milan. The one at home against Chelsea, I put zero thought into. I don't care. That was robbery. It does, it does not matter what happened in that game. They didn't even have a chance from the start for the second straight year in a vital fixture in which they played well down a man. Okay. Three points behind Chelsea. They conceded too many goals. Yeah. But they were again down a, down a man in one of those games. Matt, the last two matches in which they absolutely needed to step up, they outscore their opponents eight nil. Dinamo Zagreb hadn't lost at home. Chelsea lost there. Salzburg didn't have a victory there. Milan win 4-0 there, come back home despite a very young Salzburg team coming off a loss and a really bad performance in Serie A against Torino. Milan dominated yesterday. It was a hell of a performance. And I got to say, there was no negative, you know, plight from anyone who was on the pitch yesterday that started, in my opinion. Maybe Tamore could have done a little bit better. but And, and that was another thing, too. They didn't have Tamore mm. away to Zagreb. This was awesome. Having them advance out of the group stage, massive, massive, massive for Italian football, for their development alone, and to just the finance, financial aspect of this. Milan advancing out of the group was expected, and it was a nice accomplishment for them. Tell me what you thought about it as a whole. I, I personally found it very impressive because there were so many different players that stepped up over the course of the group stage. Alexis Salamakers getting man of the match. We're talking about Tommaso Pobega as well, someone who stepped up at home against Zagreb. Leal was productive as well. Gabby, header. Yes. Gabby as well. Tonali set pieces, multiple, multiple goal contributions off of that. Ismail Benesser. Oh my goodness, Benesser. 
was the most consistent and dominant player for Milan in the Champions League group stage. Do you agree I would say with so, that? Yeah, and I think you can make a case he's been player of the season for, for Milan. I mean, yes, people are going to say Leao, I get that. Yeah. But I think, you know, as steady as you can be, right? I think a player that, you know, we've always sung his, sung his praises for, for a while now, right? And I, it's funny, I tweeted something about this, uh, about Benacer after a good, really good performance in the league. And I said pretty much, you know, he, in, in Serie A spaces and amongst Serie A fans who watch Calcio on a regular basis, they rate Benacer. They know Benacer is a really good midfielder. But on, in European mm-hmm. zones, uh, you, he's quite underrated. I think he's a type of player that, is he f- worth 40 to 50 million in this market? He absolutely is. He's young. He's tidy. He can play in a, a couple different roles. He's a good passer. He presses hard. He's got a great work rate. He, he always works to get the ball back. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that. I think he was the best player for Milan in the group stage. Um, you know, and I just wanted to point out too, you know, the, what you just said about regarding some, um, some unsung heroes, players that have stepped up and delivered something. I mean, Salamakers had what, two goals in the group? You know, then he got injured. Um, Gabia with the header that opened up that game against Zagreb. Right, you get a get a goal from an unknown source. It it kind of lets you like, okay, now we can go after our second. We don't have to be you know, saying we can be a little bit more aggressive here because we have that one goal in our pocket. And then the performance yesterday uh, at the time of recording, of course, against uh, Salzburg, convincing. Like going home, giving that to your fans, giving the fans the opportunity to see you book your spot in the in the knockout stages for the first time in nine years. That's huge. Uh, we know the financial implications or financial benefit that comes with this. We we get that. We've we've been talking about it for a while now. But but I think ultimately <laughs> what we saw yeah. in this group stage, not comparing comparing opponents aside, right? Because last year versus this year, you could say it's a weaker group. Zagreb, Salzburg versus Atletico, Porto, mm-hmm. Chelsea, like it's different. Maturity. A lot of these players have come on. Leao matures. Yep. Tomori, Kalulu. Like look at Kalulu. He had, he was phenomenal in the game against Salzburg. Like, didn't put a foot wrong. Was well positioned all the time. Interceptions. Teo Hernandez, four to five, six, like trailblazing runs in the first half with the captain's armband strapped around his arm. Like, hit the post as well. That's that's the type of game you want to see from Milan. Taking the game by the scruff and saying in front of our fans, "You're not coming into our yard and spoiling this for us. We're winning this game." Massive, massive result for Milan. And as a collective, a really good job by the, the, the Serie A sides um, who, who will be in the knockout stage. Which is where I want to go next. Group H, and then we'll go to G and F. Group H, I mean, <sighs> Juve are a disaster. I saw Juve fans on the internet, Twitter mostly yesterday, taking pride in what they saw. And I got to say that's downright embarrassing for a game that did not matter whatsoever. It, re- it really did not matter to them. Yeah, whatever. They went to Europa League. Ooh, hats off to you. The amount of resources and money you put into this, how much you pay Allegri, how many other players you paid to step up on this stage. And you weren't just bad. You were embarrassing. You were embarrassing. You allowed 13 goals in this. You won one match. You lost five times. Five times in a group stage. Five times. Even Milan last season did not have something embarrassing as this. I have to be straight up with you. The fact that Max Allegri is not sacked is appalling. It, it genuinely is. The standards in which Agnelli and Juve and Nedved are all accepting this, they're accepting this because of their actions, Matt. Not because of what they're saying. If Nedved is coming out there saying, hey, you know, Juve at the same time, like, oh, we're disappointed in these results. No, 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 no. Your actions are... 
You have kept this manager that has allowed these results. You have kept some players that have not contributed whatsoever positively to this team. And you're going to sit there riding off where you're outside of the top four in Serie A. And you're going to sit there and say to yourself, we're in Europa League now. I'm telling you right now, they're not making top four. They continue on this path with Allegri. They're not finishing top four in Serie A. I'd rather see... I, I, I'd rather think that Roma, if they get healthy with Dybala and Gini Wijnaldum and all these other players, they're not going to do that. They're in a serious situation here where younger players don't want to come to play for this side because they know it's not mm-hmm. conducive for them developing, even if they were to want to move on to another club later in their future. Juve was a great spot for players to develop and become into top players like Apollo Dybala. Now they're doing what they're doing to do San Vlahovic. Chiesa is his own thing, but my God, man, I think they're the most pathetic team besides Barcelona and Atletico Madrid this entire group stage. And I'll I'll go as as far to say they're the most pathetic by far out of the three. Maybe athletic, maybe athletic, but this was pure garbage. It was trash. It was because we've... There are certain times as well, and I know I'm rambling now because I, I, you know how I am when I, t- when I talk about these guys. This, this has been such a garbage disappointment performance. Like this, get, I, I, I don't even have the words anymore for how pathetic. Yeah, they it, were. it was poor, um, to put it politely, right? I think the way they started their season has been obviously very suspect, very underwhelming, um, which is called to the question, Max Allegri and his job. Um, this, you know, despite what we see from from upper management, they always do that, right? They're always going to reaffirm him, you know, he's staying, blah, 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 blah. And then surprisingly, they'll just come out one day, he's been sacked. Like they do that because it's putting out fires. It's trying to, you know, put on this sort of uh, facade for the media, right? Until you actually make your final decision. The, the seat's mm. been burning. The hot seat's been burning for for a while now. Um, and if them you know, going into the Europa League, you know, it isn't the final straw, then... Man, this guy, he might have some sort of, he might be blackmailing, you know, uh, Juventus upper management here because, you know, getting paid a ton of money to coach this team, you know, the, yes, I know they have injuries. I get that, but Milan have injuries. Inter have injuries. Napoli lost Osimen. Mm-hmm. They sold, they let go of a lot of top players, right? So for Max Allegri, with yep. the way their wage bill is structured, I think it was Matteo Bonetti. It's interesting. I think it was Matteo Bonetti after the Milan victory over Juve a couple weeks ago where we were there in New York. He tweeted something out and he said, "Yeah, like Juve have almost like double the wage bill of Milan. And you wouldn't even think it by mm-hmm. the play on the field. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you're spending all this money on mm-hmm. a coach, when you're spending all this money on the wage bill, finally after years of, of that poor spending, poor signings, you're being able to barely skirt on by sometimes. Like Juventus are finally, it's, it's caught up to them. It's not catching up. It's caught up to them because now the reality of them missing out on top four is, is really real. And it's the real, the realest it's been, in my opinion, over the, over the last decade plus, right? Where they've had a, a dominance over, uh, over Italy. Mm-hmm. This just fully confirmed it, right? You mentioned like this group when this was drawn, I was like, it's not the easiest group because again, no group is easy. No team is a lay down. Like they're in this competition for a reason. You got to be careful. Mm-hmm. But when you see Benfica, when you see um, the, the, the team that they, they lost to, um, the Israeli team, yeah, you see them, you're like, all right, like we have at least two wins there. Yeah. No, no, no disrespect, <laughs> but like you have to at least split versus Benfica. You have to win the home yeah. game, right? They don't have home field dominance anymore like they used to. That used to be a fortress for them at home. It's not. Fans are, I mean, uh, play, players are looking to come into that stadium and they're looking to play them off the park and they have been. 
So it's it's without question utterly disappointing. I, I, it's really hard for me to see what the rest of the season looks like for Juventus. You mentioned it, getting, they got Chiesa back. Yeah. They have some players in the team, Bremer, who is going to be coming back versus Inter this weekend. That's the game. I think you can put it on this right now. This is a soundbite, right? If they lose against Inter this weekend, okay. I think Max is gone. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's gone. Okay, Because you can't have the performance that they had in the Champions League, go to the Europa League, and then follow it up, showing no balls, no character, no charisma, no desire, nothing, and, and being able to at least compete with Inter. Draw, if they have a good draw and they play well, and they get a lot of these guys back, then maybe he's, he stays on. If they get played off the park this weekend in the Derby d'Italia, to enter and enter smoke them, I, I do believe Max Allegri's gone. I actually believe that. I think that's a real possibility. It should have been a possibility, like 20 matches ago. But I get, I get what you're saying, yeah. The, the, considering the draw around that game. I just want to make that point, too. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make that decision, mm-hmm. don't you do it before the World Cup. Yeah, you have to. Right? Yeah. But who, but yeah, I mean, that's a separate episode in itself on who, who they would go for at that point. Let's get to the other groups before we finish up here. And then we'll talk about the draw on Monday. Group G, City, Dortmund, Sevilla, Copenhagen. <sighs> Didn't learn much at all from this. Um, City, City not, I guess, going six for six is kind of the surprise. Two draws on this. The bar's been little... set so high, right? <laughs> But yeah, I know. But again, like they win their group by five points. They didn't lose a game. Their goal differential is 12. They only allowed two goals this entire time. That's as low as anybody besides Bayern Munich. I mean, Erling Holland, what can you say? City is like, if City does not win the Champions League this year, Matt, they're never going to win it, which is probably not true. But like, this has got to be here for them, I think. Um, anything take away from that group? I respectable by Dortmund. Good job. You got to the knockout stages. Um, after a very disappointing year last year, Jude Bellingham, fucking unbelievable. Special uh, player, Would man. you pay up? Okay, two questions. I guess it's the bigger question. One, Jude Bellingham, 150 million euro is the quote that Borussia Dortmund is putting out there. Is that too high? And would you pay it? And if not, what is the figure that you would pay it for? And does it go to City? Because there's been links there. Or does he head to Real Madrid? What do you think about those questions? That's not too high at all. I've seen it all. Like just when you think you've seen, ah, the fee can't get higher than this, right? Like I think we're we're bordering. Mm-hmm. On, I I remember I remember tweeting something about this when the Neymar transfer happened. Like we're getting yeah. like surely we're going to see like a five hundred million euro transfer in our lifetime. Like it's it's happening sooner than you'd think because the money's too big, the transfer fees are too big, everything's going up. Players that are average quality are going for fifty, sixty million, like easily. Like in, 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 in the Premier League mostly and, and sometimes in Spain, right? So are we getting closer to those numbers? I think we are. But for mm-hmm. this conversation only, is he worth 150 million in this market? Yeah, because I think I look at what Jack Grealish was, was, was brought into City for. What was it? One, 110? 100. 100? Yeah, around He's, 100. Jude Bellingham's younger. He's doing it in the Champions League. In 19. He's yeah. doing it in the Champions League. Should have won the, 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 the award at the, uh, the Bound Dior ceremony, right? He should have won that. Copa, 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 the Copa, Copa trophy, trophy, right? He's 19. He's a player, a cornerstone player that you can now put into that midfield and you can have him just like a Kevin De Bruyne type where you have this guy for seven to 10 years and he's like a David Silva type player. Like pencil him in. We have our guy for the next decade. Like you invest in those guys now and we see it across other sports. 
you know, even baseball specifically, where you pay for mm-hmm. what he's going to do now versus what he's going to do, you know, after he's accomplished it. Yeah. So if you're not going to pay for it now, then someone will. If you're sitting, you're saying 150 is too much, we can't do it. You really believe that a team like a Real Madrid ain't going to say, we'll do it. I, th- I, I think that there's a possibility that it is lower than 150, but I don't have a problem with Borussia Dortmund slapping that price tag on him, especially knowing that, hey, realistically, Erling Holland should have been sold for much more than what he was yeah. sold for to City. So there is the possibility there that says like, hey, like you want our guy, you kind of got a haircut price on, on Holland due to his release clause. Yeah. Come across yeah. with the money because we're not just going to give him away. And the, and the way they also structured a Jaden Sancho deal as well. If you remember, they they paid in installments. Manchester United. So like it's yeah. like, yeah, they, did they rob them? Yeah, more than likely at this point. We're in the year two. Jaden's just way coming, too inconsistent. Todd Bowley, an ambitious project. I think they I think they go get Declan Rice. Yeah. I think that's they're, they're I think probably, that's a layout they might, for them. They might keep Jorginho. Conte's gone. They do. I yeah. think Jorginho and Conte are gone, and I think they do the Declan Rice thing, and maybe they look in 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 different areas for that. But Jude, I could see anywhere between one twenty to one fifty. One fifty could be that starting point that they're saying, "Hey, if you want him." But realistically, it's going to come down to City and Real Madrid in this. I don't think it'll, like I'd be stunned if United did anything. Maybe by the way, I just thought off the top of my head, maybe Chelsea going for De Jong. Mm. Maybe that's the thing. But again, Jude, Jude is special, and, and you're right, though, because it's like 150 million euro, you pay it at 19, what is the potential? What is the limit? What's the ceiling for Jude Bellingham? It is top three midfielder in the world. And if you're the top mid, uh, three midfielder in the world come 2028, you're talking about him still in his early to mid-20s, and that's the best player on the planet. What you Or one of the best midfielders on the planet, you paid 150 million years ago, you forget about that right. price. That's over. Like, you forget it. Like, he has exceeded everything that you needed. And if you're City and Real Madrid at that point, you're winning so many trophies. And he's a it's focal basically point. like what so PSG paid difference? for Mbappe, right? Like, yes. Great, you're great, great performances for Monaco. And all of a sudden, like, you're thinking, like, wow, that's a lot of money. Like, looking like, a, like yeah. an absolute bargain. Like, <laughs> looking like robbery. One of the best deals ever. That's what it's looking like right now. Even even the Neymar deal on a surface level, I think it, it, it raised the profile of that club so much. It yeah. was worth the money. I agree. And we'll talk, we'll talk about a team that's interested in it. Real Madrid. Um, juggernauts, absolute best club ever in this competition, bar none. There's nothing left to say about it. Even when they're kind of an afterthought in the group stage, they get 14 points, uh, uh 13 points, excuse me. The most goals scored in their group. They scored more goals than City. Luka Modric is timeless. True of many. Kamavinga stepping up in this. Tony Cruz still turning back the clock. They lose Casemiro, who's one of the best midfielders of their generation. Vinny taking it to another level. Benzema, maybe not at the level that he was at. Fede Valverde. Great player. He might be the most important. There, there's so many guys you could look at on Real Madrid. I think this season he's been their most important listen, and best player. That, listen, and when that torch gets passed, whenever Modric and Cruz and they do this guys decide to move on, like... Whenever this, whenever the old guard it kind of calls a quits, and I frankly don't know when that is because they both look really good still. Um, it could, could be, it could summer, be who I'm knows? Saying. But I think for the time being, like they look like they're still top top midfielders. Valverde, like he he Insane. he's that might be that torch bearing player in that midfield. Like he's such a special player, and I think you know uh, shout, shout out to Gonzalo uh, for those who are you know yeah. uh, in, on, on Twitter often you probably know who I'm talking about. Um, if not, uh, he's a huge Uruguay fan. He's a huge Napoli fan. Um, loves Valverde, always tweets about him. And yeah, I think it's, it's doesn't, you know, it's without what five million euros, Matt, five million euros for this without dude. question. One of the top, top midfielders in the game right now. 
And it's frightening too, right? Because I think this is what Real Madrid does. And I, I remember having this conversation with you guys and, um, you know, you and Pet. And I remember thinking to myself, like, Real Madrid has such this pedigree. They have such this financial clout. They, they can get really anybody they want. They, they have the draw to get anybody they want. But when you see their summer activity, they don't really spend like 250, 200. They don't spend like outrageous sums every summer. Nope. Because they have that stability, that project has been that when you have a midfield that you can run out there for seven to 10 years, like they do, when you have the striker that you have, a Rolls Royce type player in Karim Benzema, and then you sprinkle in your 40 to 50 million additions, you get Alaba on a free. You let Ramos and Varane walk for free, right? Like yep. you get Courtois. They do it in such a way that's like, it's, it's almost like it's profe- there's just professionalism. Dude, they went from Casillas, Navas to Courtois. And, and they didn't even break no. the bank on any no. of this. They sold Ronaldo and they like, they still just kind of like. And they won yeah. a Champions League and they and won a league title. They've won the same amount of league titles, I believe, in the time that Ronaldo has left them that they won when he was there. Let me say this and then I'm, I'm going to wrap up my, my stance on Real Madrid because, you know, they're a team that I really truly respect. And I think, you know, uh, if Milan do get drawn with them, like I've seen a lot of Real Madrid saying, like we want to play with our true rival. Like people, like Real Madrid fans really do respect Milan in that, <laughs> in that regard. So I got to give a tip of the cap to Real Madrid. Um, it would, no, listen, it would be. I, I I wouldn't be very optimistic, but I think it would be for the culture, you know, for the football culture and for football history and fans. I think it would be kind of one of those matchups you'd like to see. But mm. Carlo Ancelotti, Carlo Ancelotti, couple years ago, oh. um, Pet. Pet thought he was done. Pet thought he couldn't do it in the league. <laughs> and welcome to you, Pet. There's a lot of people that said, hey, he went to Everton. He, this guy's done. He had the Napoli stint that didn't go well either. Yeah. Gets, the, gets the Real Madrid back, the job back. And it's never easy doing the second stint and being able to be successful. Never. Look at Max Allegri, right? Second stint on Juve, it's not going good. Carlo Ancelotti goes back to Real Madrid. And this guy is a all-time great manager. Super happy for him for all the success he's had with Real Madrid. I, this guy deserves his plaudits because he's truly a special coach and he's built for this competition. He knows exactly how to win this and how to coach Real Madrid and bring them to the top level. Sir Alex Ferguson, Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho, all two Champions League wins. Carlo Ancelotti has double the amount. Great coach. And that's all I have to say. And, and yesterday, his victory um, with Real Madrid made him the all-time wins leader in the Champions League say? competition. Um, <laughs> I, there's, I don't give a shit about his league record and maybe underachieved with some teams. He's winning the biggest prizes with the biggest clubs, and there's nothing we could do to argue it. Um, so hats off to you. So as we wind on down here for the rest of this episode, who were your favorites to win this competition after you've seen everything through the group stage? Is it Bayern? Is it City? Is it Real Madrid again? Um, is there a dark horse type of team that can go on and win this entire competition? Do you think maybe Liverpool regroup after this break? Maybe it's beneficiary for them, like a player like Mo Salah gets the rest because he's not going to the World Cup. Um, who did you think out of ever or PSG? Is this finally the time with PSG? I think Real Madrid, I have to give them that respect until, you know, if you come for the king, okay. best not miss, right? Those who know the wire, um, mm-hmm. it, that's, that's, that's really fitting for this Real Madrid team, right? Because I think, you know, they've done this so many times. They're battle tested. Even in matches, like in the group stages where they're like, wow, like maybe Real Madrid are vulnerable. Even in some of their previous, like, Champions League wins and title wins where they look like vulnerable and like, wow, maybe this is a Real Madrid's year. And they lost right. a share of class. Is this Real Madrid yeah. team like the same? Can they do it? 
they didn't, right? They did it and they do it convincingly. They do it in mm-hmm. such a way that's like, wow, like, why did we ever doubt them? Real Madrid are still my favorite until they get knocked off. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely City behind them because I think you can sure. ride someone like Erlen Holland and Kevin De Bruyne. Like, you can ride those two players deep in this competition and you can win it. Like, I think those two players are that much of a mm-hmm. difference maker for, for, for Man City above everybody else that they do have. And of course, their coach, Pep Guardiola. PSG are there, but my, my really concern with PSG is that they have this reputation that they haven't been able to get over the hump. They just kind of choke when they absolutely yeah. need to get the result and they just don't do it. They're mm-hmm. still there. And I talked to you about this before we went on, on the show. Is this the year, right? Messi last year wasn't quite clicking in his, in his, his move to Paris. This year, like Messi looks like Messi, like the assists. The Cole contributions, like him and Mbappe, Neymar, like everyone's producing. This seems like if it's, this has mm-hmm. to be the year for them to do it because then Messi could be leaving, right? There's reports he could be leaving in the summer. So I think those Thanks three teams Miami, yeah. is where I would put it. Like I'll put Real Madrid, I would put City, PSG. I think Bayern, I don't think they're, I think they're going to be a team that could be, again, don't hold me to it. But if they get matched up with the right team, they could actually go out in the round of 16. I think it's possible with them. It's a, I, I, people are going to come at me for that, but I think it's possible. And my dark horse, I, I have, to get, have to give a tip of the cap to Napoli. I think if Napoli, they, it's, mm-hmm. all, yeah. it's all gas, no break for them right now. If this is what we're going to see in the round of 16 and then through to the, the, rest, of the rest of the way, like you got to give them that respect. They're playing great football. Osaman, he stays healthy. The defense, I think, is there. It's just, again, that's, that's my dark horse, right? Provided they get matched up with the right opponent in the round of 16, I mm-hmm. think they can make some noise. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you on everything. Maybe not the Bayern thing. Dark horse Napoli. I don't even know if we could call it a dark horse at this point. I would just have to see what these matchups are. It's so difficult. I think I would agree with you with those four, but it's, it's, it's basically like, who does PSG end up facing? Because we're talking about a second place team potentially facing some yeah. incredible sides that we're talking about like two favorites, like it was like when it was Germany and England facing off in the Euro. Like one of the top dogs that has the potential to win the tournament well, is going to get can, eliminated can, can early. They get, I think can they get a team like Chelsea, PSG. Uh yes, they can face Chelsea. Yep. I mean, they could they could face Chelsea. They could face Manchester City. They could face Real Madrid again. Yeah. Um. Basically, every option is open for PSG. <laughs> if you wait for UEFA, if you get my drift here, good, there's a good chance that PSG get the easiest draw or City get the easiest draws. <laughs> Who do you, <laughs> you know? You know what I'm saying? Man, like, come on. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see, man. I yeah. have a question for you, though. This is just Milan question. Who would you want to face out of all the teams that Milan are capable of facing in the, in the knockout stages? Is it revenge against Forte? Do you want to face Spurs and Antonio Conte? Do you, do you want one of the top dogs like a Real Madrid or Manchester City to see where they stack up? Although, like, you would obviously love an opportunity to advance to the quarterfinals. I think Milan upsetting one of those two teams is, is a ma- it's, it's a massive thing to happen. Who would you, who would you prefer? I'd probably say a team like Benfica or Porto. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's no disrespect. It's just, I think, like, you know, we, for the Porto aspect, right? The Porto narrative, like, yes, we would like to be, like, get some revenge on them. Um, that would be pretty cool. But I think something about Tottenham, like, <laughs> I think, I think mm-hmm. from, from knowing our podcast and knowing like Pet and knowing like the Conte aspect of him at Inter and his lack of success in the Champions League, like when he was at Inter, when he was at Juve, like not being able to like make deep runs, I, I wouldn't be afraid of Tottenham. I wouldn't. I know they're, they have good players. I'm not saying they don't, but I think like until Conte makes that deep run into the Champions League, 
And Milan know maybe the way he way he coaches, knowing his obviously he's passed at the, the clubs I just mentioned. I wouldn't mind Tottenham. I, I truly wouldn't mind Tottenham. And I might regret this if we did draw them and they smack us. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be fun if Milan played Tottenham, beat Tottenham, because then I think <laughs> all three of us, including Pet, we could just kind of, you know, uh, savor that and enjoy that as, as, as a podcast here. So those would be the three teams. But mm-hmm. I think that, you know, getting back to what you said real quick on City, Real Madrid, one of those teams, you just don't want to see those teams in a round of 16. Like, if, if it is what it is, if it happens, I get that. Those are the types of teams you want to see, like, quarterfinals. Like, hey, like, we got past the round of 16. Like, if we get smacked in the quarterfinal, so be it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you want to take some of the, maybe the lower hanging fruit, um, if you get my drift. <laughs> This guy. Yeah, no, I got you. I got you. Um, give me Spurs. I don't give a shit. I want chaos. Give me the chaos. If not, I want Real Madrid because <laughs> I want to see where we stack up amongst the great teams. I, I do not, I do not mind it. I think Milan already achieved their goal. If they weren't going to win the group, they weren't going to get a favorable matchup. We'll see what happens. Anything can happen in knockout football. All that I ask is we play away first. I always prefer away first. I just do. I just rather, yeah. I'd rather a decent performance. You put in a decent shift. You have to come back to San Siro now. I like to see how you handle that because a lot of people and players have not played in that type of atmosphere. And I think that matters. I really do. So that'll basically wrap up the podcast. We'll, we'll try and get a world cup preview in as well. Eventually, uh, we're at the 50 minute mark now. We appreciate everyone who's like hanging on with us for dear life because we can't do as much as we, we like to. We're all so busy, obviously. But you could follow us at State of Play Pod on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, Instagram's not really very active, um, but Twitter is mainly the hot spot where we post everything. But at the same time, again, love talking. We don't get to do it as often as we would like. Uh, you could follow Pet at P-E-T-B. Oh, wait, no. It's actually a different one. See, this is how long we haven't done anything. Pet has yeah, a different... He created a whole new account. Me, he has a whole new alias. He has a whole new alias. <laughs> While I search that up, by the way, can you, can you unplug your Twitter? For people to yeah, go and sure. follow. At Matt underscore Santangelo. A lot of work with uh, Football Italia. Occasionally doing Milan reports we haven't done in a while. It's just life gets in the way, you know, guys. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you guys sticking with me. Uh, follow my other account with me and my brother on AC Milan Bros. We're pushing yes. um, 16, 16 plus, 16 five plus on that. Jesus. Um, and and um, I'm doing some Serie A fantasy content. So you guys nice. can uh, check on my, my Twitter. You'll find all that information. Yep. Um, and Pet's Twitter is AFC Pet. Um, he's got a, he's got a nice, uh, you can't see his eyes or anything. It was, uh, made by Stephen K. Moore, um, for the NFT stuff. So shout out, uh, to Pat. Um, he's doing a lot of great things and shout out to Ty who edits the podcast. You could just follow me at Martino Puccio. That's on Twitter. Um, only got a couple months left of this blue check and then it's gone. Um, although Carlos wants me to pay for one month, uh, just cause he wants to troll. Uh, by, he want he wants me to get a super follow, uh, type thing going, which it's just, it's going to be really funny. Um, and yeah, at, and at the same time, proper football, all that stuff. Uh, had a cool interview with Maurice Seydoux. Uh, he used to be a former U.S. men's team international. Chano Rafael Leal, Rafael Leal, liking your reel, commenting on your reel. Yeah, That's really yeah, cool, man. no, it was cool. It was cool. Yeah, a, a lot of stuff has uh, been happening um, on that front. That's exciting, just like the World Cup stuff. I just hit 150,000 likes on uh, TikTok as well today, so that was cool. And also, go follow my YouTube. I'm over 400 subs now, really trying to get people over there. Um, that's, uh, that's pretty much it, right? Yes, that's it. And again, thanks to the whole state of play family for, for sticking with us. Hopefully you put out more content, be a little bit more consistent. Um, and we appreciate all the support. Yep. Other than that, let's send us some more. Food.